0: Chapter six, part four of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orzee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Castle in Brittany, part four. I surmised, I think correctly, that Madame la Marquise would spend most of the night with her ear glued to the thin partition which separated her room from that of Lady Molly. So I did not dare to go and report myself and the monumentous conversation which I had just had and vaguely wondered when I should have an opportunity of talking matters over with my dear lady, without feeling that a spy was at my heels. The next morning, when I went into her room, to my boundless amazement, and before I had time to utter a word, she moaned audibly, as if in great pain, and said feebly, but very distinctly, Oh, Mary, I am so glad you have come. I feel terribly ill. I haven't had a wink of sleep all night, and I am too weak to attempt to get up. Fortunately, my perceptions had not been dulled by the excitement of the past few hours, and I could see that she was not so ill as she made out. Her eyes sought mine, and as I approached her bed, and her lips alone framed the words, which I believe I interpreted correctly, Do as they want. I stay in bed. We'll explain later. Evidently she had reason to think that we were being closely watched. But what I could not understand was, what did she expect would happen if she herself were not present? when the opening of the clock-door would disclose the will. Did she want me to snatch the document, to bear the brunt of the Terhavan's wrath and disappointment? It was not like her to be afraid of fulfilling a duty, however dangerous that fulfillment might prove, and it certainly was not like her to break a promise given to a dying person. But, of course, my business was to obey. Assuming that our movements were being watched, I poured out a dose of medicine for my dear lady, which she took and then fell back on her pillows as if exhausted i think i could sleep now mary she said but wake me later on i must be at the chateau by twelve o'clock you know as one of lady molly's boxes was in my room i had no difficulty in arraying myself in some of her clothes thus equipped and closely veiled still ignorant of my lady's plans anxious but determined to obey like a soldier blindly and unquestioningly I made my way to the chateau a little before noon. An old butler opened the door in answer to my ring, and in the inner hall sat the Marquise de Terhoven, whilst her son was walking agitatedly up and down. "Ay, here comes my lady,' said the Marquise, with easy unconcern. "'You have come, my lady,' she added, rising and taking my hand, "'to perform a duty which will rob my son of a fortune "'which by right should have been his.' We can put no hindrance in your way, under penalty of an appalling disgrace, which would then fall on my son. Moreover, my late sister has filled this house with guards and spies, so, believe me, you need have no fear. You can perform your duty undisturbed. Perhaps you will not object to my son keeping you company? My precious sister had the door of her room removed before her death, and a curtain put in its stead. She concluded with what was intended to be a sneer of a disappointed fortune-hunter. So the least call from you will bring her spies to your assistance. Without a word, the Marquis and I bowed to one another. Then, preceded by the old family butler, we went up the monumental staircase to what I suppose had been the eccentric old lady's room. The butler drew the portire curtain aside, and he remained in the corridor whilst we went within, There stood the massive clock, exactly as my lady had often described it to me. It was ticking with slow and deep-toned majesty. Monsieur le Marquis pointed to an armchair for me. He was obviously in a state of terrible nerve tension. He could not sit still, and his fingers were incessantly clasped and unclasped, with a curious, febrile movement, which betrayed his intense agitation. I was about to make a remark when he abruptly seized my wrist, placed one finger to his lips, and pointed in the direction of the portiere. Apparently he thought that someone was on the watch outside, but the clock itself was so placed that it could not be seen by anyone who was not actually in the room. After that we were both silent, whilst the old piece of mechanism ticked on relentlessly, still hiding the secret which it contained. "'I would have given two years' salary to know what Lady Molly would have wished me to do.' Frankly, I fully expected to see her walk in at any moment. I could not bring myself to believe that she meant to shirk her duty. But she had said to me, Fall in with their views, so that when, presently, the Marquis beckoned to me across the room to come and examine the clock, I obeyed readily enough. I felt by that time, as if my entire body was stuffed with needles and pins, which were pricking my nerves and skin, until I could have yelled with the agony of the sensation. I walked across the room as if in a dream, and looked at the curious clock which, in less than fifteen minutes, would reveal its hidden secret. I suppose cleverer people than poor Mary Granard could enter into long philosophical disquisitions as to this dumb piece of mechanism which held the fate of this ruined, unscrupulous gambler safely within its doors. But I was only conscious of that incessant tick, 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 whilst my eyes literally ached with staring at the door. I don't know now how it all happened, for, of course, I was taken unawares. But the next moment I found myself quite helpless, hardly able to breathe, for a woolen scarf was being wound round my mouth, whilst two strong arms encircled my body so that I could not move. This is only a protection for myself, my dear Miss Granard, a trembling voice whispered in my ear. Keep quite still. No harm will come to you. In ten minutes you shall have your fifty thousand francs in your pocket, and can walk unconcernedly out of the chateau. Neither your English lady nor Monsieur Le Curé can say that they suffered any violence, nor will the clock be damaged. What happens after that, I care not. The law cannot wrest the old fool's fortune from me, once I have destroyed her accursed will. To begin to tell you what passed in my mind then were an impossibility. Did I actually guess what would happen— and what my dear lady had planned, or was it merely the ingrafted sympathy which exists between her and me, which caused me to act blindly in accordance with her wishes? "'Fall in with their views, take their bribes,' she had said, and I, like a soldier, obeyed this command to the letter. I remained absolutely still, scarcely moving an eyelid, as I watched the face of the clock, the minutes speeding on, now three, now five, now ten. I could hear the Marquis' stertorous breathing close beside me. Was I dreaming, or did I really see now a dark line, the width of a hair, between the massive double doors of the clock-case? Oh, how my pulses throbbed! The dark line was widening perceptibly. The doors were slowly opening. For the moment I almost felt in sympathy with the blackguard who was on the watch with me. His agitation must have been the most exquisite torture." Now we could distinctly see the glimmer of white paper, not pressed down by the ponderous weights, but lying loosely just inside the doors, and anon, as the aperture widened, the papers fell out just at my feet. With a smothered, gurgling exclamation which I will not attempt to describe, the Marquis literally fell on that paper, like a hungry beast upon its prey. He was on his knees before me and I could see that the paper was a square envelope, which, with a trembling hand, he tore open. It contained a short document, whereon the signature Amade de Terravain was clearly visible. It was the confession of forgery made by the young Marquis just a year ago. There were also a few banknotes, some hundred thousand francs, perhaps. The young man threw them furiously aside, and once more turned to the clock. The doors were wide open, but they revealed nothing save the huge and complicated mechanism of the clock. Mademoiselle de geneville, eccentric and far-seeing to the last, had played this gigantic hoax on her scheming relatives. Whilst they directed all their unscrupulous energies towards trying to obtain possession of her will in one place, she had calmly put it securely somewhere else. Meanwhile, Monsieur le Marquis had sufficient presence of mind, and, I must own, sufficient dignity, not only to release me from my bonds, but also to offer me the fifty thousand francs which he had promised me. "'I can wind up the clock now,' he said dully, "'and you can walk straight out of this place. "'No one need know that you impersonated your friend. "'She, no doubt, knew of this hoax. "'Therefore we found the scheme to keep her out of the way "'so easy of accomplishment. "'It was a grisly joke, wasn't it? "'How the old witch must be chartling in her grave! "'Needless to say, I did not take his money.' he escorted me downstairs silently, subdued, no doubt, by the spirit of hatred which had followed him up from the land of shadows. He even showed no surprise when, on reaching the hall, he was met by his late aunt's lawyer, Matre Vendôme, and also by Lady Molly, who had just arrived. Madame la Marquise de terreau was nowhere to be seen. My dear lady smiled at me approvingly, and when I came near, she contrived to draw me aside, and to whisper hurriedly, "'You have done admirably, Mary. I came to fetch you. But now that this young blackguard is thoroughly outwitted, we may as well go, for our work here is done.' The Marquis did not even glance at her as she slightly bowed her head to him, took leave of Matre Vendôme, and finally walked out of the chateau with me. As soon as we were out in the open air, I begged for an explanation.' Matre Vendôme has Mademoiselle's will,'' she replied. She had enjoined him to read it in the chateau, to-day in the presence of three trustees appointed for the poor of Poet, who inherit all her wealth. ''And the Terre Vance? I asked. ''They've got his confession back,'' she said dryly, ''and they will receive an annuity from the trustees.'' ''And you knew this all along?'' I rejoined somewhat reproachfully. ''Yes, so did the curé,'' but mademoiselle made me swear a most solemn oath not to reveal her secret even to you she was so afraid of the machinations of the Terravans. you see continued lady molly smiling at my eagerness miss de Genneville possessed the ancient key wherewith she could open the clock-case at any time obviously even so perfect a piece of mechanism might go wrong when examination and readjustment of the works would be necessary after the family conclave wherein she had announced that her will was hidden in the clock i at my next interview with her begged her to modify this idea to send her will to her solicitor but to leave the terre Havens under the impression that it was still lying in its strange hiding-place at first she refused to listen to me or to discuss the subject but i am happy to say that i finally succeeded in persuading her with what result you already know but poor monsieur Le cure i ejaculated her bright eyes gleamed with merriment oh that was the final little hoax he himself poor dear was afraid lest he might blurt out the whole thing his illness was partly a sham and he is quite all right again now but the doctor at the brest hospital is a great friend of his and is keeping him there until all this business has blown over i was the only one who was kept in the dark i concluded ruefully "'Yes, Mary dear,' said my dear lady gently. "'It was a promise, remember, but I never thought that we should get so much excitement outside our own professional work.' It certainly had been a non-professional experience, but here, too, as in the detection of crime, her keen intuition had proved more than a match for an unscrupulous blackguard. And certainly, on the twentieth day of September last, I lived through the most exciting ten minutes of my life.' End of A Castle in Brittany End of Chapter 6